Are worry and anxiety the same? Not really. They can share some of the same traits, but they're not the same thing. Worry is usually specific and in our minds. Anxiety is often general and affects the mind and the body negatively. Worry can be practiced away with mind renewal. Anxiety needs healed. I'm currently medicated for anxiety, and maybe you can identify. I'm in a current season of stress that has beaten me down. After working in one world for 16 years, it's become clear that I can't stay. And the internal conflict leading up to that moment tore me apart, mentally and physically. There are two stories in the scripture that show Jesus dealing with worry and anxiety. Today's is in the worry lane. Later on, it'll be in the anxiety lane. Welcome to Anakinosis, where we renew our minds towards biblical worldview in the scriptures. This is a show for anyone looking to build or repair the biblical worldview. Whether you're 100% comfortable in the current Christian culture, or you feel like an outsider looking in, everyone is welcome. My name is Jeremy Agin. I'm just a guy with a Bible literacy background who has ASD and who thinks a lot about how to think. Today, Jesus will talk about fasting, money, and finally, worries. So Jesus is still preaching to the crowds who are curious about him and his kingdom. And Jesus will cover something rarer in this day and age, which is fasting. Then Jesus is going to cover something that we all seek after, or at least need, which is money. And then something that drowns us, which is worries. This comes directly on the heels of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus continues on the secrecy theme. And fasting here is definitely not associated with diet or just abstaining from food. Fasting was going without food in order to spend more time in prayer, which is difficult but noble. Fasting gives us time to pray and it teaches us self-discipline. It can remind us to, it reminds us that we can live with a lot less than we do. And it helps us appreciate the fullness of the blessings that God has given us. It was thought If you gave up food, you would have more time for prayer. The hunger pains you feel would remind you to pray. Today, it is more of a rarity for this purpose. And here's actually a case that I made against fasting when debating this issue at Bible college. I said, we eat so quickly anyway with fast food and microwaves. It doesn't save much time to skip a meal and spend more time praying. People are fluent multitaskers these days and can do more than one thing at once. Read the paper, watch the news, eat breakfast, feed the dog, all at the same time. Now, I don't know if that argument holds any water, but that's really not why fasting is rare. It's rare Because in American Christianity, prayer is on the shorter side. 
back in the day, people would fast because they were in communication with God all day long and they wanted a couple extra hours that they were using to eat to pray. They just couldn't get enough. They would give up their daily bread to dedicate themselves more fully to the Lord. Nowadays, we are more likely to give God sparse time. We all want to do better, though, but prayer has kind of a heavyweight chore vibe connected to it. Many of us make daily prayer a burden, or we might call it a discipline, which it is. We may make oaths to church groups or to God himself that we're going to pray every day for a set amount of time, and then we fail, of course. This is followed by Satan's instilled fear and shame that God is saddened by this development. The enemy tells us we need to try harder next time. He convinces us that the amount of time and prayers directly associated with Jesus's love for us in return. A relationship can never be weighed or judged by the amount of time you talk. Sometimes it's accurate and sometimes it's not. If I'm on a trip and away from my wife and I only talk to her a few minutes each day on the phone, does that mean we're in a bad spot relationally? If I'm at home and we yell at each other for hours, is our relationship great? You can't put in the work to make your relationship with God right. You're already in a right relationship because he is right and he has made you right. All the mistakes we make and the time we spend rebelling against this plan is just a huge waste. But God doesn't distance himself and he doesn't warm up his lightning bolt machine and he never says, that's it. You're going to have to work this one off. He has a bright future, pure and holy, full of opportunity for us to go his way, sitting in front of you. In this passage, Jesus again is confronting the Pharisees and the religious rulers. The Pharisees loved to fast and so that others would see them and think that they were spiritual. Fasting was a sign of denying their flesh, of food, yet they didn't do it to strengthen their relationship with God, but to be thought of spiritual. They were seeking the praise of men. The proof of their weak relationship with God is not seeing Jesus for who he is. It's weak, despite their obvious public fasting. But Jesus says when we fast, we should do it so others are not aware. It's not for them. It's for you and for God. And there's a reward in the kingdom for that. Something that's become more popular in American Christianity is to fast from things other than food. And I do think that there's some merit and effectiveness to that, um, especially fasting from electronics, because there is a huge amount of time that we spend on phones and computers and televisions. And so it, it might more represent the time sacrifice um, to give to God. I would be remiss if I didn't mention that this podcast is dropping on the beginning of Lent. And in many Christian practices, it's a time of fasting, sometimes from technology, sometimes from food. At my church this year, our pastor mentioned that maybe we're all so beat up from the last couple years that instead of a fast, that maybe we should look for ways to add something that would connect us more to God. He leaned into Genesis 26, where Isaac is trying to unplug the wells that the Philistines had plugged. 
And then he, he does all the work to get those wells unplugged and then other people try to claim them. And he moves on to the next and unplugs another one and then they claim it. And then they, he keeps going on until finally he finds a well that can be his own and his people's. So our pastor was like, maybe that's the season we're in, a season of dried and plugged up wells. And maybe during Lent, instead of a fast, we look to unplug the well draw near to God in different ways. So it's all about drawing near to him and wanting to spend time with him, not about earning anything with the time. Jesus continues in Matthew 6, 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. There is a lot there in those verses. Jesus tells us not to spend time building up wealth and security on earth because it's not lasting. Treasure in heaven will always be there. And he alludes a bit to repayment at the judgment seat of Christ, which Paul expands upon in his letters. According to Paul's teachings on the judgment for believers, the only things you'll be rewarded and paid for or repaid for are things done with a foundation of Jesus, and done with Jesus. But whatever our hearts long for, we'll put treasure into. If our hearts long for sports cars, then we'll have a few sports cars. If our heart longs for baseball, then we'll have some collector's items. But baseball memorabilia will be eaten by moth, and sports cars will be taken down by rust. If we put our heart's treasure in Jesus Christ, we have eternal treasure in the kingdom of heaven. And the greatest treasure you can deposit in the kingdom is other people. The Pharisees have this problem because their spiritual eyes are diseased. So Jesus speaks of this. And I think that's the case with many of us many times. With our eyes, we covet wealth and money and all the world has to offer. And it fills us up with darkness. We are diseased with it. But if we look to the good, which is in Jesus, we'll fill our lives with the light of his glory and the darkness will be no more. So, where's our focus? Jesus tells us that nobody can serve two masters. You serve money and the world, or you serve God. They don't play on the same team, and you can't either. It's one or the other. Wealthy Christians have spent a lifetime trying to rationalize hoarding money for their own selfish use and personal safety nets, but we weren't ever instructed to do that. It's money or him. And that doesn't mean that wealthy Christians are dirtbags or anything like that. I just, we all do things that we weren't instructed to do. It's money or him. When it comes to picking a baseball team to cheer for, it's a no-brainer for me. I cheer for the most decorated team in National League history, a team that my father liked, a team that is always fun to watch, well, usually, the St. Louis Cardinals. I'm sure you've chosen on a similar basis. 
I've heard people picking favorite teams based on uniform colors and logos. In fact, I think that's the only way some teams have fans. But whether you're picking a team because of family or style or location or color or whatever, it's easy, right? So why is choosing between God and us and our money so hard? It's clearer cut than an argument between Cubs and Cardinals or Red Sox and Yankees. When it comes to a holy God who's sovereign over everything versus us and our money, what's the hang-up? God should be the easy favorite, the heavy favorite, the champion. And we shouldn't even be in contention for the underdog, the wild card, or anything else. We are easily led away from the champion to pursue the lies of the world. Will you store up money and collections of multitudes of things and leave it all behind when you die to be auctioned off and sold in garage sales? Or will you leave those things be and fill up your life with Jesus? Now you might be thinking, oh no, I do a lot more things with money than I do God. Who am I serving? If I make this change, if I serve Jesus with my everything. What will come of me? I I have to take care of my family. Jesus knows. And he tells us not to worry. He reads our minds and he answers our questions in the next few verses, starting in 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Now, this is a good example of how the New American Standard translates better than the ESV at times. Anxious isn't the right word here. The Greek word is merimnao, which means divided into parts or figuratively meaning pulled apart. So the New American Standard translates it as worry. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. This is an important distinction from anxiety because like I said earlier, worry stays in your mind and is specific about its target. And what Jesus is describing in this fantastic passage is about us worrying specifically about our needs. So switching to the New American Standard for a second and going to chapter 6 verse 25 to 34. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what to put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather crops into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more important than they? And which of you by worrying can add a single day to his lifespan? And why are you worried about clothing? Notice how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor, nor do they spin thread for cloth. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not worry. Wow. Why? 
because God knows what you need. If you believe that he is wise and good and knows what you need, then you can be at ease even in difficult times. If you do not believe or you're double-minded about it, our minds will be pulled apart and need renewed. God knows. You need food. You need shelter. You need clothes. You need covering. If we run after providing these things for ourselves in lieu of him, we'll never learn to walk by faith. And this doesn't mean to lie down in the street and say, God's got me covered. Though through the kindness of others, you might still be. What Jesus is striking at is that as we work for money or we're given gifts of money, we should try not to be worried about it running dry. God knows what you need and he knows how dry the river is getting, which reminds me of Elijah's stream that goes dry and then God moves him to the next place. God takes care of the birds and the flowers and we're greater than them in God's sight. He will provide for us if we are seeking him. So have you worried about something all day? I I definitely have and it didn't add a single hour to my day and it didn't provide help for solving a problem either. When I was in high school, I would worry all morning about a test that I had last period I would spend time fretting about it. I would talk to my friends about how unprepared I was and how bad it was going to go. I'd spend lunch thinking about what would happen if I got a bad grade and what my mom would say. I thought about how my world would be affected. I worried, I worried, I worried. Well, what would have happened if I would have just invested that time harder studying? What would have happened to my prayers if I had prayed for God to help me remember what I had studied rather than, Lord, help me on this test I didn't study for? And that translates to all conflicts and all problems. This whole not worrying about anything idea goes back to the prayer thing. Is prayer a first or last resort? If it's a last resort, then you probably worry about it and freak out for a while. And then it's a mess and nothing can be handled by you anymore. And then you turn to God and say, help me. I've been there. What if we all turn to him first? It might still stay a mess, but it's a mess in his hands. We would cut out all the worrying and add time to our lives to spend towards the kingdom of God. By worrying, you can't even gain one hour. But by trusting your Father in heaven with the issue and not worrying, you can gain time. Planning for your future is time well spent, but time worried about the future is wasted. Trust God's guidance. Worrying is a hobby of many Christians, but it doesn't need to be. And again, worrying is different than anxiety, but it can create it. And then anxiety can damage your health. It did mine. The daily cognitive dissonance between my desire and my work's desires went from worry to anxiety to physical pain. As a person with ASD, I often think in binary. I'm right and they're wrong. A friend at church pointed this flaw out in my thinking. There's so much more gray here. I still think I agree with a lot of what's going on in my workplace and what they're trying to achieve. We just disagree on how to get there and what should be in the recipe and what the end product should look like at times. There's some black and white, but there's a lot of gray. For me, I need to step out as part of my giving it all to God. I was standing there day after day trying to fix it when I need to give it to God and seek his direction on my life apart from it and hopefully apart from my anxiety. Worrying leads to anxiety, and anxiety not only damages your health, but it disrupts your productivity. It negatively affects the way you treat others, and it reduces your ability to trust in God's promises. Bobby McFerrin says, don't worry, be happy. 
I think we could add, think only of the joy of heaven. Like Jesus said, make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Be a joyous one. How? Face him and walk. Have you heard the phrase, I'm looking out for number one? It means we intend to watch out for ourselves, making sure that I take care of me first. I'll then make sure that others are taken care of. Maybe we've experienced getting hurt at the expense of others looking out for their number one. Our selfishness when it comes to looking out for number one can cause damage. If we had our proper priorities in check and the number one was Jesus instead of ourselves, then looking out for number one would be looking out for Jesus, trusting him with my life, and he leads me into holiness instead of me trying to self-clean. It doesn't benefit him for me to falsely look good. Every mask comes down eventually. It benefits his name I carry around, Christian, when I display him as my king. As we continue to build our biblical worldview, we want to think about what in our minds needs renewed. I have a wooden sign in my living room that says, Worry ends where faith begins. I don't take this to mean initial trust in Jesus as my substitute. I take it to mean my daily trust, even if I need to trust him with my worry. Thank you for listening. Anakinosis is a project for anyone anywhere who's looking to renew their biblical worldview. Next time, Jesus will give us the golden rule.